So join with me as I read Matthew 10, beginning in verse 5. These 12, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in, in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor tuni two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. For if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of, sh of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in, your, in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for I will be for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For if, for if it is not you who speak, but the, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will, will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another, for assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear, for them, fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. What are, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. God in heaven, we praise you and thank you for your faithfulness, for your loving kindness towards us, for your watch and guard over us. And God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds Open our hearts and minds to hear you and allow us to commit and recommit our lives to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Thank you, Bill, for leading us in our scripture reading there through that passage of scripture there in Matthew 10. This morning we're continuing in our series, and next Sunday we will conclude this series that we've been in for the last few months, a series based on the words of Jesus, a series hopefully you're familiar with by now that we've been calling simply Follow Me. As Jesus cried out to his disciples, those first disciples of Peter and Andrew, James and John, and then Matthew, those simple two words, follow me. Last Sunday we learned that the gospel of Jesus Christ here demands that his mission become our mission. Last Sunday we began to look at this passage here at the end of chapter 9, leading into chapter 10, and we began to see a turning point in Jesus' life and in his ministry as he begins to empower his disciples that are following him, to send them out, to commission them, to give them his ministry, to let them do the same thing that he's been doing that we have looked at in this series, and basically since Matthew chapter 4. He's been teaching with authority. He's been healing with authority. He's been preaching with authority. And now Jesus sends his disciples out, these specific disciples, the 12 of them, to do the same mission. And so our big idea here for us today, as we saw last Sunday, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ truly demands that his mission become my mission as a fully devoted follower of Him. But if I'm honest with myself, I have to admit this isn't always easy, is it? It doesn't always come naturally to my selfish life, to my sinful life. And that's why we need to take, as we learned at the end of last Sunday's message, this 30-day prayer challenge. A challenge in prayer that simply says, Lord, burden me with a supernatural awareness of the condition of the lost. And Lord, give me a sacrificial obedience to the commission of Jesus Christ. And so, I hope that this last week you have begun to make that your prayer. Let me encourage you to start your day with that prayer, or end your day with that prayer, and then get ready. Be ready for how God will begin to answer that prayer. As we were discussing this in our grow group last Sunday, someone in our group, we were talking about this prayer. What would happen if if we began to pray this for the next 30 days? What do you think will happen? And she rose her hand. Well, God will will probably begin to answer it. Now, I'm not sure I really want him to answer that. I'm like, yeah, we're all with you on that one. But we need to. Why? Because the gospel demands that his mission become my mission. Now, this morning, as we continue our journey with Jesus Christ here in Matthew 10, here's what we're going to see. Let me give it to you up front. And it's right here in your notes coming up on the screen. Since the gospel demands his mission become my mission, or our mission, then we must live on mission as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We must live on mission with Jesus. Adoniram Judson was an American Baptist missionary who served in Burma for almost 40 years. Over 200 years ago, at the young age of 25, Adoniram and Ann Judson boarded a ship and set sail for India on a journey that would eventually lead them 
to unreached peoples in Burma. What's interesting is the letter that Adoniram wrote to Anne's dad to request permission to marry his daughter before they left for Burma. Here's a, a, a little excerpt of that letter. Imagine this, especially dads with daughters, getting this letter from a prospective son-in-law. How many dads do we have here with daughters? Raise your hand. All right, so you guys especially, imagine this. Adoniram writes, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and suffering of missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the danger of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps even a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means, from eternal woe and despair. So dads, what would you say? Anne's dad said yes. The couple was married, and a year later they boarded a ship, and Anne's dad would never see his daughter again. She would lose her life sharing the gospel. Yet through her and Adoniram's work today, there are nearly... 4,000 Baptist churches with about half a million Christ followers in Burma today. Now, I'll have to be honest with you. This letter seems rather strange to me as I read it. And I'm sure it seems rather strange to even your ears as I read it here this morning. But this is a very normal letter in light of what Jesus says to his disciples here in Matthew 10. So the question before us this morning, the question that these verses here, that Jesus writes or says to his disciples, and the question that comes before us now this morning out of this passage of Scripture is, are we today willing to pay the price to spread the gospel of good news? Are we willing to risk the comforts of this world? Are we willing even to risk the safety and security in this world to spread the gospel in our communities, to spread it beyond all around this world? Because this is what it means, in essence, to live on mission as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Let me break this down for us this morning with three simple statements of of what it means to live on mission with Jesus based on the words that he gave his 12 disciples here in Matthew 10. First of all, number one, living on mission means going to great need. It means going to great need. Now, we know the need is great. We saw this last Sunday. We saw how Jesus tells us the need is great in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when he looked over the multitudes, he saw them, 
and was moved with compassion for them. We learned last Sunday that their size is great. In fact, there are over 4.5 billion people who don't know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. We also saw that their suffering is great. Jesus says the lost are, are weary and scattered, helpless and harassed as a result of our sin. And then we also learned last Sunday that their separation is great. The lost, Jesus says, are like sheep without a shepherd. And so in their sin, they are separated from God the Father. And if nothing changes in their hearts as it has changed in your heart, then they will die eternally separated from God in a real place called hell. So the need is great. And as a result of this great need, before them, Jesus now commissions these very disciples to go to this great need that he was looking out over in chapter 9, verse 36. Jesus tells his disciples here in chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, look what he says. Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, we didn't answer this question last Sunday because I was saving it for right now. And some of you may be wondering, well, why in the world did Jesus tell his disciples to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and not to the Gentiles? How many had that question last Sunday? Oh, that's only two people? Right. I mean, isn't the need great among the Gentile people? Isn't the need great among us, among all the rest of the people around all the world outside of the Jewish nation? Absolutely the need is great. Which is why Jesus will command all of his followers, you and I included, to go to all nations and all peoples later on in Matthew chapter 28. 19 and 20 in what we commonly refer to as the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. But for now, Jesus wants these 12 disciples to go to their own people, in their own cities, and in their own villages. As Paul explains later, the gospel was for the Jews first and then the Gentiles later. Also, where they are right now specifically, this region of Galilee is a Jewish region. And Jesus is sending them out on a very short-term missions trip or missions campaign. And so there's no time for them to kind of venture out beyond the Jewish region here of Galilee, beyond the scope of this mission. Plus the Gentiles, think about it, they knew nothing of the prophecies of Jesus Christ. They knew nothing of the miracles of Jesus. So they were, in essence, they were not prepared to receive that the kingdom of God is here, that Christ the King is here. That would come later. Preparation would have to come. So Jesus sends them out to their own people first, which is consistent with what this Jesus would later tell us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall be witnesses to who first? To your circle of influence first and then expanding beyond that. So although this specific mission that we're looking at here in Matthew 10 
was given to these specific 12 disciples at this particular time in history, there are still truths here that we can learn for all disciples of all times. And the first truth I think we can take away in learning about this, the first truth we can learn in going to great need is this. Go to people in great need and show them Christ. Jesus tells his disciples in verse 8, he says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. What is Jesus calling his disciples to do here? Listen, he's calling them to go to people who have great need in their life. And he's calling them to go to the diseased, the despised, and the dying, and to show Christ to them. Think about it. These people, is this not deja vu? Of what we have just seen in Matthew chapter 8 and 9? These are the same kind of people Jesus went to. These are the same kind of people he ministered to. He went to people in great need, and he showed them his love and his grace and his mercy, and for some of them he even healed them miraculously. And now Jesus is calling his disciples, and by application, you and I still today, to go to people in great need and should show them his love and his grace and his mercy, his compassion. In other words, Jesus is saying to us, go to the people that the world ignores and it looks down on. Go to these people and show them my love. Folks, this is why we show Christ. Our purpose as a church is to make disciples who know Christ, grow in Christ, and what's number three? Show Christ, and then go with Christ. This is why we show Christ to people here in our church's community, hopefully in your own community. This is why we, we, we sponsor adoptive families here at Christmas, and we host a dinner for them. In our, through our, our grow groups, we will... We will buy gifts for them and wrap them and present them to them simply as a way to show Christ and his love. It's why we, we have our off Christmas offering, our, our caring for people Christmas offering that goes to, to fund our benevolence ministry of, of helping people in need, both in our church and outside of our church in our community of our church. It's why... People come early on Wednesday nights. Even when it's this cold, like this last Wednesday night, get the vans out and pick up kids in our community that otherwise would not come. And I applaud you people that work on Wednesday nights in our ministry and trek ministry and show Christ to them in various ways and means. It's why we, we host and sponsor things like our, our Easter extravaganza, trunk or treat, and do these things in our community because we are showing Christ to them. And this brings us to another truth we learn in going to great need. Jesus calls us not only to go to people in great need and show them his love through acts of service, but he says, as you go to people in great need, proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 5, verse 7 here, look what he says, And as you go, preach, 
saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, they couldn't yet proclaim the cross of Christ. Why is that? Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. That was still in the future. But they could proclaim the good news that the king has come. The kingdom is near. Of course, today, we proclaim the good news of the gospel. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That he rose from the grave three days later. And that he is alive today. And we also proclaim in response to that good news that if we repent of our sins and if we turn to Jesus Christ for our salvation, we will be saved. That is the gospel that we proclaim. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God for what? Salvation to everyone who believes. And then he adds that comment to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the first thing we learn about living on mission is that it means going to great need. And when we go to people in great need, we show them Christ and we proclaim Christ to them. Number two, living on mission means going in great danger. It means going in great danger beginning in verse 11. And we don't have time to look at every one of these verses in detail here. But beginning in verse 11, Jesus starts talking about how the disciples will, will be received in homes. In the news, let me tell you, if you didn't catch it when Bill read it to us, it's not always positive. Proclaiming the good news of the gospel doesn't always fall on receptive hearts. Have you figured that out by now? So his disciples should not be surprised when they now face opposition. And so Jesus tells his disciples in verse 14, look what he says to them. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet, which is simply a, a symbolic gesture indicating the severing of a relationship. Listen, living on mission is not easy. Jesus is telling his disciples back then, it's not always going to be easy, and it's not always easy for us as well. Why? Because we're stepping into a world that is out of step with God. We are calling people to repent, to turn from your sin, and to turn to God, or turn to Jesus as the one who can save you from your sins. Listen, that means we will be at odds with our culture. The culture that in many ways tries to discredit Jesus as the Son of God. A culture that tries to reject Jesus and reject him as the way, the truth, and the life as Jesus describes himself in John 14, 6. And so Jesus as he's before his disciples here, he dismantles any preconceived ideas of safety and security that they might have in their minds when he paints for us a very vivid picture of great danger of living on mission with him. Notice this in your notes. Going in great danger, Jesus sends us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. 
He sends us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, I can just imagine the looks on the disciples' faces when these words come out of Jesus' mouth in verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, just think about this with me for a moment. What's the responsibility of a shepherd when it comes to his sheep? To protect the sheep, absolutely. To guard the sheep. To lead the sheep. To care for the sheep. To nurture the sheep. To guard the sheep against what kind of animals? Wolves and other vicious animals like wolves. So here is Jesus, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and what is he doing to these very disciples and even us? He's sending us out as sheep in the middle of a pack of wolves. Seems contradictory. After all, sheep are some of the most helpless, some of the most senseless of all domesticated animals. When sheep find themselves in danger, they have no defense. All they can do is run. And if you've ever seen a sheep run, they don't run very fast. So the dumbest thing sheep can do is go wandering into the middle of a pack of wolves. And yet Jesus is saying to his disciples then, and by implication to even us now today, hey, listen, I'm sending you into great danger where you will find yourself in the middle of vicious people who want nothing to do with you in my gospel. And you will be there by my design. Now again, I have to admit, I don't think like this necessarily. Do you? After all, we say things like, well, the safest place to be is in the middle of God's will. We think in our minds, surely Jesus would never lead us to a place that is not safe for me and my family. We assume things like, if it's dangerous, then God must surely not be in it. If it's risky, unsafe, or costly, then it surely must not be God's will for my life. But what if these factors are actually the criteria by which we should determine where Jesus wants us to go? What if the center of God's will is in reality the most unsafe place for us to be. Just think about some of the missionaries we support. Just think about some of the missionaries that were just here three weeks ago. What if Michael and Amber Blummer made their decision based on their safety and their daughter's safety about whether to go to North Africa or not? What would their answer have been if they based it solely on the criteria of their own personal welfare? What about Mitch and Beth in Tanzania ministering to Muslims? And not that all Muslims are mean, but he told stories about how some of them are, are ridiculed, persecuting when it came to his property and building a building on his land. I'm sure some people said to even people like Michael and Amber, you're crazy to go to Tunisia. And you have no clue what you're doing to your girls. How could you take them over there? And yet Jesus tells us here that living on mission means 
oftentimes going in great danger like sheep in the midst of wolves. At the same time, Jesus tells us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. In other words, go in great danger and go without hesitation. Go without reservation. And when you're there, he says, be smart as snakes. Avoid unnecessary danger. Don't seek out danger. And don't needlessly incite anger among people or incite trouble for yourself. And be harmless as doves. In other words, be above reproach in how you live your life. Be humble in your approach with people. Don't be abrasive. Don't be belligerent. Don't be inconsiderate of them. Jesus continues by telling his disciples in verses 17 through 25 the kinds of danger now they can expect to face. He says they will be opposed. They'll be betrayed. They'll be hated and even persecuted. Look at this with me. The dangers of living on mission, number one. When opposed, remember to depend on God's presence, though. Jesus tells his disciples in verses 17 through 18, they will be delivered up to courts. They'll be flogged in the synagogues. They'll be dragged before government officials, all for his sake. And when that day comes, there might be a tendency to be a little anxious about what to say. But in that moment, Jesus makes a promise to them in verses 19 and 20 when he says, but when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Man, this is encouraging here. Jesus is promising that when we're opposed for spreading the gospel, we will not be abandoned. We will never find ourselves alone in that moment. Jesus says, I'm right here with you, and I will empower you with everything you need to live and to speak in a way that honors me and my name. Here's the reality, though. We tend to live our lives within the presumptive safety and security that we kind of make for ourselves, don't we? All of us do. And in so doing, let's be honest, we don't really depend on God's presence and power so much. But when we live on mission, making the gospel known where we live, where we work, like sheep in the midst of wolves, listen, that's where all of a sudden God's presence and God's power becomes very real in our lives. That's where we learn to depend on God's spirit like never before. So when opposed, for living on mission, remember to depend on the presence and power of God. You're not alone. The Spirit dwells within you and empowers you. Number two, when betrayed, remember the value of endurance to the end. Now, this next verse is rather sobering. Jesus says that seasons will come where family members will betray you. Look what he says in verse 21. Now brother will deliver a brother to death. And a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Now what is going on here? Well, what's going on 
is the kingdom of God and the gospel is divisive. And when people don't accept the gospel, sooner or later the gospel will divide people. Even family members may turn on you and turn against you. When you follow Jesus and make his mission your mission in life, you will be misunderstood at least and perhaps even mistreated, and some of that betrayal will come from where you least expect it at home from family. And when that happens, remember the value of endurance to the very end. Jesus tells us at the end of verse 22, but he who endures to the end will be saved. This word endure it's an interesting word. It's, it's an awesome word in the sense that it means to, to bear up courageously. And so Jesus, in other words, is reminding us here that endurance is a very central part of what it means to follow Christ. And that everything, including betrayal by family, has an end that leads to deliverance if we will endure to the very end. So when you're betrayed, even by family members, for the sake of the gospel, for living on mission, for making Jesus a priority in your life, when your other family members, it's not a priority, and those priorities come in conflict. Remember the value of endurance to the end as a Christ follower. Number three, when hated, remember it is for the sake of Jesus' name. Look what Jesus says now in verse 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now all obviously doesn't mean that every person on the earth will hate you. But the picture is pretty clear. Whether it's your family, whether it's the government, whether it's the religious establishment, whether it's somebody you live next to, whether it's somebody you work next to, whether it's somebody else, you will be hated. Now these are rather strong words from Jesus. This is one verse we typically don't have highlighted or underlined in our Bible. This is one verse we don't necessarily cling for inspiration in our walk with the Lord. This is one verse you typically don't see hanging on a wall, on a plaque in your home. Or have on a card in your car or on your mirror in your bathroom. Yeah, that's my verse for inspiration. So why will you be hated? After all, nobody wants to be hated. We don't seek that out. Because the world doesn't like it when we proclaim specifically the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, you can do nice deeds, you can perform acts of service, and as long as you don't mention the name of Jesus, you know what? You will be loved by the world, you will be applauded by the world. The news media will even come and take pictures of you, perhaps, and show it on the 10 o'clock news of what you're doing for the community. But do the exact same thing and proclaim Jesus is the only way to be forgiven of your sins. And he's the only way to heaven and eternal life. And the world will mock you, hate you, and rise up against you just like they did Jesus. Number four, when persecuted, remember you are following in Jesus' footsteps. Look what Jesus says in verse 23. But when they persecute you in this city, 
It's not if they persecute you, but when. Jesus just assumes we will be persecuted, unless we think this is referring only to these 12 disciples and not to us. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Now, the reason we know that we will be opposed, betrayed, hated, and persecuted is because Jesus himself was what? Opposed, betrayed, hated, and persecuted. So get this. The more our lives are conformed to the life of Christ, the more we will receive what he received in this world. This is why Jesus says in verses 24 and 25, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he will be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? And are we not of the household of God? As his daughters and sons saved by his son Jesus Christ? This is the unavoidable conclusion of what we're seeing here in Matthew 10. So I come with a warning. If you want a safe, comfortable life, free from danger in this world, then stay away from Jesus. If you want to avoid being betrayed, if you want to avoid being hated and avoid being opposed and persecuted, then avoid Jesus. Don't be fooled into thinking that as you grow closer to Christ, as you follow Him more deeply in your life, that things will get easier in your life in this world. No, no, no. Oftentimes, things will get more complicated. Things will get a little harder. Mark it down. When we live like Jesus, we will be treated like Jesus. Just look at these disciples. These 12 here. 12 minus 1, we know Judas was a betrayer himself. And so the rest of them, all 11 of them, were persecuted for the sake of Christ. And most of them were eventually martyred for it. So why would we think now anything has changed since that day when Jesus first sent these disciples out? Listen, it continues to this day. And I know right now some of you are thinking, I've never been persecuted, hated, betrayed, and oppressed or opposed. That's because we live insulated lives here in our American Christianity. But go anywhere else around the world. And this is true for many cross followers, Christ followers. I have a book at home. It's called Extreme Faith. It's about that thick. And it's a modern-day version of just Christ follower after Christ followers of both past and now and the present of those who are persecuted. And it just gives a little two-page synopsis of their life and what they've been through all over this world so this is a very real thing, even though it may not have be so real in your life yet. This is pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? You didn't know this is what you were coming for, did you? And that's why, number three, living on mission means going with great faith. Going with great faith. 
you can almost see Jesus making eye contact with his disciples here as he tells them they're being sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And as Jesus looks at these men, I'm sure he sees fear in their eyes. There's no question that fear is one of the biggest obstacles to you and I sharing the gospel in a country, get this, where it is still legal to share the gospel. And that we are paralyzed by fear. Fear is why we are so silent in our neighborhoods and at workplaces. Fear is why we're so hesitant to share the gospel with people we work with and live next to. There's fear in our hearts, and when there's fear in our hearts, there's often silence in our mouths. And so Jesus reassures us here with promises of his love and his care. In verses 26 and 31, he tells his disciples then, and he tells us now, look at this in your notes, going with great faith that fear will tempt you, but the Father will take care of you. It's interesting, three times in these six verses, Jesus says, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. And so Jesus recognizes that if you live on mission with him, listen, fear will tempt you. Fear will be a reality for us. You will be tempted by this fear, guaranteed, Jesus says. So how is it possible for sheep going into the middle of wolves not to fear now? I mean, how can Jesus say this to his disciples three times? Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. When he knows his disciples will be opposed, betrayed, hated, and persecuted. But don't fear, nonetheless. Listen, the reason why Jesus can tell us this is because Jesus also makes a promise to us that the Father will take care of us in the midst of all this. There's no need to fear when you know three truths about our Heavenly Father. And the first one is, there's no need to fear when you know God's sovereignty is our safety. Jesus reminds us that our safety is not found in the comforts of this world, but in the control of a sovereign God who rules over this world as we have seen over these last two months in Matthews chapter 8 and 9. Jesus asked his disciples in verse 29 a question. It's a rhetorical question. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will? And the answer is, what is the answer? Listen, God is sovereign over the smallest sparrow in the sky. And this same God, Jesus is reminding us here, will not let anything happen to you that is not part of his good and perfect will, even if it involves being opposed, hated, betrayed, and persecuted. If a sparrow can't even fall to the ground apart from God's sovereign will, then we can rest confidently in the fact that nothing will happen to us in this world apart from God's sovereign will. Nothing. So there's no need to fear when I know that God's sovereignty is my safety. Number two, there's no need to fear when you know God's love is your security. 
Jesus reminds us of God's love for us. In verses 30 and 31, look what he says. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus reminds us that God knows every single hair on your head. The hairs you have now, the hairs you used to have. Women, God knows what the true color is of your hair even. God knows every detail of our lives. God knows you completely and he loves you deeply because you are valuable before God. And so when you step out in faith to follow Christ, be assured that our greatest security is found in the faithful provision of the only one who knows our needs and the only one who is able to meet our needs in every way. So there's no need to fear when I know that God's love is my security. Number three, there's no need to fear when you know God's presence is your satisfaction. Of all the amazing statements of Jesus here in Matthew 10, this one may be the most astounding in verse 28. You've got to see it for yourself. Look at what he writes or says. Verse 28, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, frankly, this seems like a rather bizarre way to encourage disciples who are risking their lives in obedience to him. And yet Jesus was telling them that we need to fear God, not people. Why? Because God is the ultimate judge who holds our eternity in his hands. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was one of the few German pastors who had the courage to oppose and speak openly against the regime of Adolf Hitler. And for that, for helping Jews escape and for plotting against Hitler, Bonhoeffer was jailed, then executed. And from prison, he wrote this. Those who are still afraid of men have no fear of God. And those who have no fear of God have ceased to be afraid of men. So Jesus says to us, you don't need to fear men. After all, the worst they can do is kill you. What kind of encouragement is that? I mean, how's that supposed to lift my spirits and comfort me, right? Listen, folks, the only way this can comfort us is if you have already died to self and your life is in Christ Jesus. In the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is a very radical way to think, and yet is a very Christ way to think. And so give yourself to living on mission with Jesus. Why? Because the gospel demands that his mission become my mission. And that means going to great need. That means going in great danger, and it also means going with great faith. And this brings us to a question. A question for each of us as Christ followers to ponder, to meditate, to consider even now and this week. Do we really want to be like Jesus? Are we willing to live on mission with Jesus? And are we willing to go to great need and great danger with great faith? Let's pray.
Lord, we come to you this morning. And Lord, to be honest, it's, I want to say we thank you for your words here in Matthew 10, but I'm not sure we really are thankful for them. Because they're hard words, they're sobering words. They're words that confront our lives as Christ followers here in America. And so, Lord, I ask that your words here would penetrate our hearts and we would dwell on them and you would use them to challenge us and to convict us and to move us to live on mission for you. And so, Lord, do a work that you can only do by your spirit and by your word as the praise team sings.